We are calling this series of teaching God's structure of authority. How many believe God has a structure of authority? Now, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion, right? And yet there's a lot of confusion in a lot of churches and a lot of denominations. And that's not God's fault. That's men's fault. And I think a great reason why there's a lot of confusion and a lot of turmoil and, and problems is because people do not understand and they do not acknowledge and observe God's structure of authority. So that's what we want to look at the scriptures on and we want to observe it. And it's not bondage, but the word is truth that makes us free. Confusion is bondage. When you don't know what to do, when everything's in an upheaval and in turmoil, and you can't be fruitful or productive for God, that's bondage. Amen. But when everything and everybody is in their place and are productive and fruitful, and we're moving forward for God and pleasing Him and accomplishing the plan and purpose that He called us to, that's freedom. It's work, but it's freedom. Amen. We're not just here to keep the seat warm, are we? Or to breathe up the air. No, God established this church, Rhema Bible Church. Amen? For a reason, and a big reason. And you're not here by accident. And I hope that you're not just, you know, uh, haphazardly involved with this church, but that if you are here, that you are committed. Amen? And that you have a, a sense of destiny about you. Amen. You know, you can't think too big for God. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Don't be afraid that you're going to think too big. Be a person of destiny. A person with a vision. What vision? Well, the vision that God gives our leaders. Amen. And then shows us what our part of it is. If you would look with me in, in your Bible this evening to James, the fourth chapter, and look at a verse of Scripture that is very important. I, I'd call this our text for this series in James, the fourth chapter. James, chapter four. Now, in the sixth verse, we'll read James four. It says, but he, talking about God, gives more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, charismatics know this seventh verse, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. And we ought to know it. We need to know it. Because the devil is going about seeking whom he may devour. And you need to resist him steadfast in the faith. But how many realize that's not all that verse? That's not the whole passage. That's not the whole truth. That's just a part of it. And a lot of times people will pull out a little piece of something and, and then not get results and wonder why. Well, if you pull out a verse and you're not getting results with it, one of the first things you ought to do is go and read the verse before it and after it, maybe the chapter before it and after it, and look at the surrounding context and you might get some other ideas about what to do to make it work for you. Because the Word works. 
when you do what it says. But notice that just this one phrase talks about resisting the devil, but the other phrases talk about dealing with pride, talks about humbling yourself, talks about submitting yourself to God. Now, whether you realize it or not, there are kingdoms in the realm of the spirit, just like there are kingdoms in the realm of the natural. Kingdoms. In fact, a lot of the Old Testament that God gives us that talks about kingdoms and shows us kingdoms and how they work is given to us for a lot more reasons than just history lessons. But we're to learn from the structure of authority. There is the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of the Lord. I was rereading Matthew just a while back and I noticed over 50 places in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus referred or the writer referred to the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's an important topic. The kingdom. Now, I know... Did you know there's some words that you can mention that sets off buzzers in people, depending on what's going on at the time? For instance, if you get in some places and you say intercession and you mention groanings or travail, they may ask you to leave now. If you get in some places and you say anything about deliverance, you may be out. If you say anything about discipleship, you may not be received. If you say anything about kingdom, you may not be received. Why? Well, because of some teachings and some things that have happened, may be happening. But did you know that all those words are Bible words? The devil didn't invent those words. Those are Bible words. They came from verses in the Bible. They came from doctrines that are mentioned in the Bible. You just watch this. Anytime the devil, anytime there, there, there's a big uproar about something and there's a lot of problems about something, there's a truth in there somewhere that the devil is afraid of. For instance, t take intercession, for instance. A few years ago, especially, different ministers begin to bring forth great truths about intercession. And more people begin to get involved in interceding and intercession and find out what intercession is. Really, all intercession is, is praying for somebody else or some group of people. And yet, some folk got some wrong ideas and in their immaturity made some real problems, and made some, even some church splits and all kinds of things have happened. And as a result of that, some people don't even want to talk about intercession anymore. They don't even, they don't want to hear the word groaning or travail or any of that. Same thing happened with deliverance. Some great truths came about our authority in Jesus and how to exercise authority over the devil and how that some problems are caused by demons and they need to be cast out. And some folk got a hold of that and in their immaturity made everything a demon and, and lined up all their church members and cast demons out of every one of them, supposedly, and just made a mess. Got everybody more demon conscious than they were Holy Ghost conscious and had every kind of manifestation you could think of, and like Brother Hagin says, a lot that you shouldn't think of. Just made a mess. But I'm telling you, the reason that happened is because of humans making mistakes. Yeah, but they had some help. I said they had some help. 
You see, the devil is afraid of real intercession. The devil is afraid. I'm talking tremendously afraid of real deliverance. He's afraid of it. And so what he does is he tries to get some people over in the ditch with it and get shipwrecked with it so that the rest of the body of Christ will go, huh, I'm not touching that. And then a great truth is lost from the church for another generation until it resurfaces again. And then he'll try to do the same thing again. Anytime I see a big commotion over a doctrine, I get interested. I think, yeah, the devil's afraid of something over there. What is it? Now, I want to see the truth and divide that from the excess and the error. And I want to see the truth in that because the devil's afraid of that. That's why he's going to so much trouble to split churches, to get people messed up and off the track in the ministry because he's scared of something. And when the devil's scared of something, I like that. Don't you? I like it to think that the devil is afraid of something. So let's, what we need to do is not let something scare us so that we just stay away from it totally, but that we divide the truth from the error and walk in the light. Now see, the same thing has happened with discipleship and the kingdom message. There's some folk got into some problems with discipleship. And some folk have got into problems with the kingdom message. But yet, there's a truth there. Amen. We want to see the truth. Amen. So be careful that when you hear certain words, if I use certain words in the teaching, be careful that you don't, when you hear a word, you don't just let your mind run off on a tangent because of some other things that you've heard and say, well, uh-oh, uh-oh, he's talking about, he's getting over into this. Well, just wait and see if I am. Amen. Just check it out with some other things. Now, notice that before he talked about resisting the devil, he said, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's talk about submission to God. I said there are two kingdoms in the realm of the Spirit. There's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of God. And in these kingdoms, there is a structure of authority. There's a structure of authority in God's kingdom. It starts at God the Father. It goes all the way through the, the kingdom of God. Did you know that there is, uh, there is deference even in the Godhead? You know that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how that all things have been put under, under, in subjection under the Lord's feet. But it says that is accepted. That the one that put everything under his feet is not necessarily under his feet. That is the Father God. And that when all things have been fulfilled and all of the Lord's enemies are under his feet, it says even the Son himself will be subject to the Father that he may be all in all. There's an obvious difference. Jesus himself said, my Father is greater than I. And the Holy Spirit, there's an obvious difference there. He, he said, Jesus said when he came, he would not speak of himself. He would only speak of the Lord and of the Father. He would only say what he heard. Right? There's an obvious difference. If there's a difference even in the Godhead, surely there ought to be difference among the body of Christ. Right? Now, in the kingdom of darkness, there's also authority. Remember, Ephesians 6, uh, 12 talks about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, Rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. That structure. I said that structure. There are beings in the kingdom of darkness that have more rank than others. They have beings that are under them in rank. 
The Bible talks about in the kingdom of God, uh, in the angels, there's rank. Archangels. Other angels. Amen. There's obvious rank and order in the kingdoms that we're talking about. And a lot of Christians seem totally oblivious to any order. You know, people, there's some folk have even gotten the idea, well, we're all Christians. We all have the Holy Ghost. We all know God, you know. And there's some churches that have gotten to the point where they think that they, they didn't need any leaders. They don't need a pastor. We all have the Holy Ghost. And some people say, you know, well, we're going to get to the point anyway where eventually we, we get to heaven and there won't be any order and we'll just all be, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where'd you read that at? Who said there wouldn't be any order? In the life to come. Pure supposition. Not in, not in line with the scriptures anyway. No. Who said that? No. God is not a God of confusion. And if you don't have confusion, it's because you have order. You have things in their place. Amen. Thank God for it. Now, what does it mean... To submit to God. Did you know that the devil observes the kingdom of God and he observes his kingdom? And the reason this said submit yourself to God and then it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you is because if you do not submit yourself to God, then you are in rebellion and in subordination. Now, is that of God or of the devil? That's of the I mean, he was the first one to rebel. Right? I mean, that's of him. Rebellion is of him. So if I'm not in submission and I'm in rebellion, I'm yielding to him. If I'm yielding to the devil, I cannot resist the devil. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot resist the devil if you're yielding to the devil. And you know, you're either doing one or the other. To resist the devil means to yield to the Holy Ghost. To yield to the Holy Ghost means to resist the devil. If I yield to the devil, I necessarily resist the Holy Ghost. One action involves the other action. And if I'm yielding to the devil, there's no way I can resist the devil because I'm yielding to him. If I yield to him, that means I'm giving him a place over me. But if I yield to God and I submit to God, then the devil has to submit to me. Amen. If I don't submit to God, the devil knows he does not have to submit to me. Because I'm involved in some of his things, rebellion and subordination. I'm submitting to him instead of him submitting to me. So it's imperative that we submit to God before we can exercise authority over the devil. So let's define what is submission to God. Well, first of all, submission to God is subjection to His Word. If the Bible said it, obey it. That's first and foremost. If the Bible said something, then submit to it. You know, a lot of things you don't even have to pray about. If you're looking for the answer and you find a verse that deals with it, a lot of times it may go crosswise with your flesh, but just do it. Right? Just do it. You know, the Bible says that it's the uh, the Word that's able to divide between spirit and soul. 
Now, a lot of folk have missed it. Because they said, yeah, but I, I got something on the inside. I just feel like that the Lord's leading me. Yeah, but what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about that? If the Bible says something about it, then I don't care what you got on the inside of you. You understand what I'm saying? See, a, a lot of folks, you, you can't just look down on the inside of you and go, this is my soul and this is my spirit. You can't. There's only one thing that will divide spirit and soul. That's the Word of God. And don't misunderstand me. I believe as you grow and develop, you can learn some things. You can know yourself better. But, see, a lot of times people are saying, well, the Lord is leading me. The Lord is, is giving me some things in my spirit. And the thing is, that's just their soul. And they don't know it. They think, they think yes, that's God leading me. And yet it's just their emotional realm. Because it's inside, isn't it? But I don't care what you got going on on the inside of you. If the Word of God says something contrary to it, crucify the flesh, submit to the Bible. Do the Word. Now, that's not, that's not always going to be easy. But do it. Most people know that. Submission to God means submission to His Word. But also, this is the part that a lot of folk don't know. Turn with me to Romans, the 13th chapter, please. Romans chapter 13. Submitting to God means submitting to the Word. The Word should be our final authority. When we find it in the Word, that's it. You don't have to check with any, you know, any other authority from the worldly standpoint as far as the doctors, the lawyers, or, or the news media, or anybody. If the Bible says it, that's our final authority. We stop there and we just act on it. But number two, submission to God is submission to men and women that God has placed in authority. Now that's where the folk, you know, many times get in problems. Read this verse of scripture with me in Romans, the 13th chapter. Romans 13, verse 1. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, the word powers there is the Greek word for authorities. So I'm going to use that word the rest of the verse. Let every soul be subject unto the higher authorities. For there is no authority but of God. The authorities that be are ordained of God. Now, what does that mean? It means the people that are in authority are in authority by placement or permission of God. It's of Him that there is a structure of authority, and it's of Him that they're there. Wherefore, or whosoever rather, therefore resisteth the authority, or those persons in authority, they resist the ordinance of God. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, or that means condemnation or judgment. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of folk around that say, well, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this. They say, now, I submit to God, but I don't submit to any man. You ever heard that? I've heard, I've heard several people say that kind of a thing. Well, I, I submit to God. I obey God. God is my Lord, but I don't obey any man. Well, you've got major problems then. 
If you don't submit to men, you don't submit to God. Let me give you this illustration. You know the Bible says, you know, if a man says that he loves God and hates his brother, he's a what? Liar. Because God says, if you love me, it'll be demonstrated by your love toward men. There are a lot of things like that. I mean, it's easy to say, I love God. It's easy to say, I submit to God. Because nobody but you supposedly knows what he's telling you to do. That's mighty convenient, isn't it? No, that's not true. We not only work with God, we also work with men. Amen. That's a fact we need to get a hold of. Men, human beings, men and women. And if God has placed a person in a position of authority and you resist that, the Bible says you resist him. God takes it personally. All you got to do is go back and read about the Israelites and what happened to them. The Bible says the things that happened to them happened for examples or in samples to us. Don't you remember that many times the children of Israel would get in trouble and they would start murmuring and complaining against Moses and Aaron. Remember that? And Moses would come to them and say, Listen, your murmuring is not against us. It's against the Lord. And then the Lord would speak up and say, I hear your murmurings against me. They didn't call his name. They called Moses' name. They called Aaron's name, and they thought they were just talking against men. God took it personally and said, you are murmuring, you are complaining against me. You are speaking against me. Why? We need to understand the identification that God takes with us. Don't you remember when Saul was persecuting the saints, and he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou my Christians? No, me. 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 When God has placed somebody in authority, if you resist them, God takes it personally as resisting him. If you disobey them, God takes it personally. God is a God of delegation. How many know God doesn't run errands on the earth? He doesn't. He sits on the throne. He has angels, he has servants, he has ministers, he has apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, workers. And he moves on people by his spirit and by his word. And when he delegates authority, he leaves that in somebody's hands. He gives them grace to do it, he directs them, but he gives certain amount of authority to them. Amen. Now see, some people... If they delegate authority, they still try to run it all anyway and try to do everything anyway. And you can't do that. You'll restrict a place. You'll, it'll never grow if you try to do everything. You have to delegate. And delegate means that you give somebody something. Doesn't mean you don't oversee it, but they're responsible for it. They have to make decisions. They have to get direction. They have to do some things. And I'm telling you, when God delegates authority, he means it. 
Take, for instance, the beginning, Adam and Eve. God gave authority to man. He said, you have dominion over the earth. You subdue it. And man gave his authority to the enemy. Did God step in and say, whoa, wait a minute, you can't do that. No. Why? Because when God delegates, he delegates. And so a man had to come and get it back. Jesus. Amen? When God delegates, he delegates. Now what some folk don't understand is that you can go to God directly for some things. Anything that has to do with your own personal life. You know, you can go to him directly. He'll talk to you directly. He'll deal with you directly. But some things that pertain to the kingdom of God, if you ask him about it, he'll send you to somebody else. Some things you won't get if you get out of your place. Now, I'm going to have to go into some detail and explain that. Just just hold on to that thought. But there is order and structure in the kingdom of God. God has placed men and women. Everybody say women. Men and women. In places of authority. You see. And God intends for us to observe that. And if we dishonor the people that he's placed in authority, he takes it personally as us dishonoring him. If we disobey, if we reject, if we don't reverence and respect, then God takes that personally. And that's a serious thing, isn't it? Now, in the, uh, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, God instructed the leaders of the Israelites to set captains over thousands and hundreds, and fifties and tens. I mean, they had their rank right on down. He told the armies of Israel how to camp. This tribe here, this tribe here, this tribe here, this tribe here. And when the cloud moved, they pulled up and they marched and it was not mass confusion. First tribe pulled out according to their rank. Leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. The fathers of families, row by row, rank by rank. Most organized and orderly thing you ever saw, I would imagine. That's the way God is. Prophetically, God speaks of a great army that destroys its enemies. That's typical of us. And one of the characteristics of them is that they do not break rank. Amen. You know, in God's army, he needs soldiers that know how to take orders. He does not need hot dogs and heroes and superstars. Do you know what I mean by that? Now, how many know what a hot dog is on a ball team? The hot dog, let's say a basketball team. A hot dog is somebody that's a ball hog. And every time they get the ball, it doesn't make any difference where they're at or what's going on. They try to win the whole game by themselves. They'll shoot from anywhere. They'll try anything. They won't pass to anybody that's open. They, they are a superstar. They're a hot dog. And, and companies in the army are afraid of people that are heroes. You know what I mean by that? These guys that if we read too many combat magazines and, and, and seen too many war shows 
and they single-handedly are going to win the war. What happens is a person like that can jeopardize the safety of the whole company. He can give away your location. He can, he can, you know, spoil the plan. He can mess the whole thing up. I guarantee you, doing what God told you to do, if you do it right, will keep you busy, my friend. You won't have to sit around and daydream a lot of spectacular things you can add to it. You, you, I, I don't know if you're like me. Just doing what God told you to do will keep you busy, busy. Amen. And it'll keep you out of other people's business too. Amen. I guarantee you, these people that's got all this time to go around and meddle with everybody else's business and ministry and give them all what you ought to be doing, they're not doing their business. I'll guarantee you they're not because you don't have enough time to do all that. If you do what God told you to do, it'll keep you busy. You won't even know a lot of things about a lot of people because you're just busy doing what God told you to do. Anyway, there's rank in the army of God. We need to be good soldiers. Amen? Now, I, I use this example frequently. I'll use it again tonight. And that is that, you know, there's a difference between the family of God and the army of God. We've heard a lot of teaching in charismatic circles about our rights and privileges in Christ, and that's good. We need to hear more of it. But I think some people have miss, missed some truth about the army of God. Now, I use this example, I'm going to use it again, about a family. Let's say there's a man and he has three sons. He's a general, has three sons, and the eldest one is a, let's say, a, a captain, and the middle son is a sergeant, and the younger one is a private. They're all in the army because their dad was a general and and he's been in the army and they wanted to follow his footsteps. So they, when they got old enough, they all joined. But they're at different ages. They're all in the army. But now if they come home for Christmas or whatever, then they're all family. This is not wartime. They're, they're not, you know, they're not necessarily saluting each other every time they meet each other in the hallway. <laughs> right? I mean, they don't necessarily say, yes, sir, you know, general or, or captain or sergeant. It's Bob and Bubba and... Daddy. Right? Because this is home. This is family. And, and just because older brother is a captain doesn't mean he gets two portions of turkey and three extra presents under the tree. Because this is family. Right? And there's an equality where our rights are concerned. In the, in the family of the Lord, you know, not, no one of us has any more rights to the name of Jesus than the other or to the blood of Jesus, or to receiving the Holy Ghost, or to healing, or to prosperity. I mean, we have equality in those areas. God doesn't love any one of us more than He loves another. Right? That's the family of God. But now, what if they get called into duty? Something's going on, war breaks out or something, and they all get called into duty, and they're on the field, and they happen to meet up at the same spot. And the general gives an order. Well, does the elder son say, Aw, Dad, what do you want to do that for? <laughs> well, if he does and the general is, is worth his salt, this man's in trouble. Is that right? 
So you have to differ between relationships. At home, it's fine to discuss things, kick things around, offer your opinion, but on the, on the battlefield, in action, it's just, yes, sir, and do it. That's it. I don't care if he is your brother, it's sergeant. I don't care if he is your brother, it's captain. I don't care if he is your dad, it's general here. Now, did you know, I've taught, we, we, my wife and I travel some and we get to spend some time with pastors here and there. And a lot of times they talk with us and I've had people talk with me and say, you know, I have trouble with my relationship with my people. I, I want to get close to my people and I want to have good relationships with them. But it seems like if I do, they don't respect me properly when it comes to service times and, and, and when I need to do things that, that have to do with the authority that the Lord's given me here. And people take, how many know people take advantage of friendship? You know, that displeases the Lord. For people to go around and say, well, you know, I know so and so. I'll ask them for a favor. And people use that relationship. I've had people use things against me at times and, and ask me to do things just because we spent some time together or something. You just have to say no. And resent people abusing things. You know what I'm saying? You know, we need to be able to discern. We need to be able to discern between times and positions and circumstance. For instance, you know, Pastor Hagen is real touchable. And, uh, you know, say we're having a picnic or something, we might fellowship and talk and and he might call me, you know, by my name, and I might call him by his name, and and just talk about things and kick them around and, and laugh, and he's a real touchable person, and that's fine. But when we get in service, if there's, you know, if we're moving in the service or prayer time or God's moving or something, that's a different relationship. How many know what I mean by that? We we need to distinguish. I mean, you know, we all of us are family and we should be able to get together and have a good time. Be touchable and be open. But friend, when it's action time, when it's service time, when it's prayer time, when God's moving and things are happening, then you, you take another role. And it's yes sir, pastor. It's yes sir, leader. Yes sir, ministry leader. Yes sir, whoever. Yes ma'am. You know, it doesn't hurt. It's not just a southern tradition to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Do you know that? Now, a lot of people, I, you know, a lot of people will tell you, well, you, know, you don't, you don't have to say yes, sir. You don't have to say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, me. But you know, a lot of times it's, you, you need to not just do it for their sake, you need to do it for your sake. To remind you of places. Amen. That'll help you. Because, you know, we're living in a generation of folks that don't respect anybody or anything. There's a lot of people, they didn't respect their parents. They didn't respect their school teachers or principal. They didn't respect the, the police or local authorities or government. They just soon call people names as to look at them. There are people run down the president. They run down, they call the policemen pigs. Are you listening? They call their father my old man. Are you listening? We grew up in a generation that was rebellious. Nothing was sacred. Nobody, nobody thought twice about speaking out against somebody that was a leader in the church. 
Now listen, friend, leaders are human beings. You know that. I know that. Human beings are subject to mistakes. Human beings are not perfect. And there may be times when people, uh, leaders might do something or say something that you don't necessarily think is altogether right. You may not approve of it. You may not respect exactly what they said or did. But I tell you this, no matter what, you better respect that place that they hold. I don't care if people fall. You understand what I mean by that? If they fall and miss the mark, you still better respect that place. Take, for instance, David and, and Saul. Now, see, Saul missed it badly. He, his own self, out of his own mouth, said, I've played the fool. I've erred exceedingly. And yet David had opportunity to kill the man more than once. But he refused to disrespect the place that the man held. He referred to Saul, not as that old Saul and gave a bunch of, you know, adjectives to, to describe how sorry he was. He just said, the Lord anointed. What does that mean? The Lord anointed the man. The Lord put the man in the place. If he wants the man out, he'll take him out. Amen. Even if the man, I mean, the man acted like the devil. I mean, the man yielded to wrong spirits and threw spears at people and, and tried to harm his own family members. He was full of the devil at times. But David said, yeah, but God put him there. If God wants him removed, he'll take him out. And as long as he's there, I respect that place. I may not be able to respect everything the man's doing. He's running me like a dog, trying to kill me. I haven't done anything. He's making my life miserable. He's tormenting me. But he's the Lord's anointed. I respect that place. No matter what, we ought to respect the place that people hold. You can't, you know, it doesn't, it's not smart to second guess God. If God puts somebody there, whether you think they're qualified or not, is immaterial and irrelative. Right? If God put them there, He is satisfied with their credentials. God doesn't see as man sees anyway. You might look at people on the outside and say, well, I, I think so, and somebody else would be better qualified. Well, it doesn't make any difference what you think, and you'd be smart to keep your mouth shut about what you think. God looks at the heart, and that's what counts. It's the grace deposit. It's the supernatural equipping. It's the heart of men and women that qualifies them. Amen. And a lot of times you don't know where they've come from. You don't know what they, you don't know what kind of training they've already been through. You don't know. You just look at people from the outside and you don't know. And that's why you don't need to say anything or second guess God. If they're there, then just respect the place. Amen. And if somebody is doing a lot of things wrong, then you leave it in the hands of the Lord. If He doesn't want them there anymore, He is well able to get them out. Are you listening? He can get them out. But I tell you one thing, He's merciful. Human beings will judge people and have them out years before He will. Are you listening? Amen. Now, there, there's something that I want to touch on that I had on my heart, and we're going to close in just a few minutes. But it has to do with respecting rank and, and, and intercession. You know, I've, I've been privileged to, to spend a good bit of time in prayer school and observe people pray and learn a few things about prayer and intercession. 
And, and there's been a lot of havoc wrought in charismatic circles by so-called intercession. There is a lot of wrong thinking about intercession in our circles. I'm not talking about somebody else. Now, the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You know that? And, and then stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. And I've heard some things concerning intercession that has disturbed me. People don't realize what they're getting into and what they're dabbling with. Many times there have been people that, that have learned a few little things about intercession, a very few. And they decide that they, you know, a lot of times what happens, see, in prayer, you need to stay ahead of yourself. You know what I mean? I mean, in prayer, you, you touch things that are in the future, a lot of times way down the road. And you, you'll, you'll be touching them and praying some things out because when things are, are worked out in the Spirit, then they come to pass in the natural. And so you've got to realize in intercession, a lot of times you, you're way out ahead of the present. And so when you get through praying, you've got to just put that on the shelf and get back down to here and now. And not try to pull that into the day. Because God has ways He brings things into, into to manifestation. And a lot of times He does it a lot slower than you'd like for Him to. But He does it right. Amen. He does. But a lot of times, people, intercessors, men and women, have touched on some things and they thought, this is it. This is the way the ministry should be going. This is the way the church should be going. This is what the pastor should be doing. This is what. And they get manipulative. And they immediately begin praying and trying to make people do things. Now, you know what that is? That's rebellion. And it's like the sin of witchcraft. You might say, why do you say that? What do you think witches do? They endeavor to manipulate people's spirits. And make them do what they want them to do. They do it through their forms of prayer. Affect people's spirits and make them do what they want them to do. Boy, you've got to be careful about that. I've heard people describe language of things that they dealt with and touched in the spirit. They thought, well, you know, they said, I took so-and-so's spirit and I pulled it this way. And I turned it this way. Man, you better be careful about that. I said, you better be careful about that. You leave people's spirit in the hands of God. Amen. You ask God to deal with people the way He wants to. Amen. You don't try to change people's wills and manipulate them into what you think. I said think is the will of God. You mind if I meddle just a little bit further? Just because that you touch some things in intercession and you see some things in the Spirit, that doesn't make you a prophet. Or a prophetess. Pastor says, say it again. <laughs> just because you see things, now listen to me, just because you, you're praying 
and you see things in the Spirit, and you touch things with your Spirit, and you get a, just a little glimpse and a little bit of understanding about something, that does not make you a prophet. It does not make you a prophetess. Why do you say that, Brother Keith? Because some folk that, that, that do know a little about intercession and have touched some things, they come back from prayer, and then they interpret what they saw. And they are not gifted to do that. They do not have the wisdom or the call or the anointing or the discernment to do that and to express it. And so what happens a lot of times, they put a lot of their own thinking in it and they mix it all up together and they got a mess. Some intercessors need to get off the platform and back in the closet. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, don't miss. Now, I'm not knocking intercession. I hope you know that. But some intercessors have turned prophet, prophetesses, preachers, and they're not called for that. They're not anointed to do that. They don't have the wisdom and they don't have the spiritual equipment to discern things and divide them and to say the right thing at the right time. They, they've not been given that. God gave them some grace and some anointing to work on some projects in prayer. And that's what you should do. Work on it and then be quiet. Leave it alone. Come back to it, work on it, and then be quiet. Leave it alone. If a lot of times you're scratching out, what does that mean? Just say, I don't know, and go on. Well, I touched that. What, what does that mean? Just, just say, thank you, Lord. You're working it out. And forget it. That's not your call. That's not your grace. Learn how to work on projects. And learn how to be quiet. Is that all right? Amen. And, uh, you know, a lot of times other people have things in their spirit. The leaders especially I'm talking about. They, they have things in their spirit, but they, they don't have the utterance to give it out. And they have enough experience to know to be quiet till you do. And a lot of other folk don't. That's why they need to be quiet. And that's why sometimes if somebody starts with something and the leader says, wait, 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 wait. no, don't start with that. You hold back. And then people get all bent out of shape and say, well, well, they're not going with the move of God. They probably know more about it than you do. They just don't want you to jump out and muddy up the stream and mess it up. God puts people in leadership positions for a reason. And He will give them wisdom and discernment to know times, to know seasons, to know how, to know who, to know where, to know when, to know how to affect things. We need to do our part, our place, and then not get out of our place. So many times folk have overstepped their boundaries. And got into things that, that, that really weren't theirs. But I think sometimes it's been because of just a lack of understanding. That's why we're doing some of these teachings and we're just believing that the Lord will, will give us some light. Amen? And if you've done some things, don't just beat yourself over the head for the rest of the week. Just say, thank you, Lord, for showing me what to do. Amen? And, and be encouraged and say, I'm going to be a bigger blessing and do less talking and more praying and, and more deference and, and be a bigger blessing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And learning God's structure of authority. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church.
If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.